Uh, we're going to get right into it because it's 1130. We're going to go and straight right in and get right into this. And I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we're just going to read one little verse. Verse 20 of 1 Timothy 6 is where we're going to be coming from this morning. As everybody here knows who's not a uh, visitor, I read from the NIV. And so if you have something different, that's okay because it's going to be behind me. Uh, And this week I can actually say it's going to be behind me and it's actually going to be there. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 20 says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. Now, the King James Version is the one that I have always liked, this tra- that particular translation of this particular verse, because it says, Avoid profane and vain babblings and oppositions of science, falsely so-called. Science, falsely so-called. For those of you who are visitors and who may be just joining the discussion, I'd like to reiterate this point uh, from the first installment of this series that I made some weeks ago because the title, the overriding, the overriding, overarching title of this series could be a little bit offensive. You know? A little bit offensive. So, in the title and throughout these messages, when I use the term useful idiot, um, I'm not intending to be disrespectful uh, for the sake of disrespect, and I'm not using that phrase, useful idiot, uh, for effect. Uh, Neither Christianity nor the pulpit is any place for disrespect and name-calling, and that is not my intention. Actually, when I use that phrase, useful idiot, I'm citing history by quoting Ludwig von Mises, who translated Karl Marx's original deaf-mutes reference into English. And apparently the Russian translates best as useful idiots. But for the purposes of this series, a useful idiot, and that's important, for the purpose of this series, because if you'll remember, Marx was referring to communists from far-flung lands who were in support of communism and subsequently Marxism, but really did not understand the ramifications of it. And he referred to them as deaf-mutes. They heard, but they weren't listening. And von Mises referred and translated deaf-mutes into useful idiots. And that is said historically to be a far better interpretation of what Marx was intending. But again, for the purposes of this series, I'm not talking about, although we did talk about Marxism, I'm not talking about Marxism. A useful idiot for this series is anyone who unknowingly is deceived by, embraces, and subsequently is subsequently used by the devil Satan, 
for the purposes of accomplishing His insidious schemes on an unsuspecting mankind. That's what I'm saying when I refer to useful idiots in all of these contexts. This week I'd like to speak to you about yet another one of those insidious schemes currently being perpetrated on the people of our fine country and the world at large. Please know, going into this message, that in the incredibly limited time that available to me this morning, I won't so much as even scratch the surface of this or any of the topics that I've been speaking about or will speak about. In fact, I could spend a solid month on this topic alone without exhausting its depths. It would be easy. With that said, I'd like you to watch this incredibly short video. morning I'd like to speak to you on the subject useful idiots gender dysphoria transgenderism Quoting Christopher Ruffo, In 1818, Mary Shelley wrote the famous novel Frankenstein. The premise of this book is that modern science, stripped from the constraints of ethics and nature, will end up creating monsters. Trans affirming doctors are the postmodern version of the book's protagonist Dr. Frankenstein now I want to be perfectly clear the monsters that are being referred to here are not the people who have suffered at the hands of these doctors influencers, pundits, and the like. The monsters are all contained in the idea of transgenderism. The monster is the agenda. The monster is the ideology itself. I want to make that perfectly clear. If you are a person with transgender persuasions or if you know someone 
who is a transgender, I want you to look at me and I want you to hear me very clearly. I can't address that subject any better than the Apostle John. Now hear these words. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes on Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Son did not come into the world to condemn the world, but through Him that the world might have life. Now you say, Michael, that flies in the face of everything I've ever heard in my life. No, it doesn't. The bottom line is is that how many of you were lost in trespasses and sins when the Holy Spirit of God got a hold of your life and altered your eternal destiny. And He never once said, clean up and come see me. Not one of you. Not one individual in the kingdom of God has ever been required to clean up before they come to the foot of the cross. Not one. What happens? You come to the foot of the cross, as the old hymn says, just as I am. (laughs) And then Jesus, through the Spirit of Almighty God and His Holy Word, sets about altering your living and your life. So the monsters we're talking about are not people who are not supporters of this ideology. The ideology is one thing. People who are transgender may very well be something else entirely. Do you hear me? How many of you know homosexual people? How many of you know them? You know them by name. How many of them are out to turn the world upside down and throw everybody into darkness? No, they're homosexual people. And they need your Jesus. And guess what? They're never going to come to know your Jesus as long as they are someone who is less than you are. As long as they're bound... By your condemnation, they're never coming to Jesus. The same way the drunk never will, the promiscuous never will, the liar never will, the adulterer or the idolater ever will. They'll never come unless we have fresh fire to illuminate the darkness in this world. You let Jesus fix them. You get them to the cross. Well, bless God. According to author and speaker Abigail Schreier, in a 2021 speech at Hillsdale College, in 2007, America had, get a load of this, one pediatric gender clinic. Today, there are hundreds. Schreier went on. How did we get to this point? How is it that we are all supposed to pretend 
that the only way you can know I'm a woman is if I tell you my pronouns. To understand how we got to this point, it's useful to begin by considering gender dysphoria. The feeling, this is the definition now, the feeling of severe discomfort in a person's biological sex. Gender dysphoria is real. There are people in the world who legitimately and genuinely feel severe discomfort in their birth sex. It's real. It's as real as the nose on your face. Gender dysphoria is also exceedingly rare. How rare, you might ask. It affects 0.01% of the population. What is that? That is one one-hundredth of one percent of our population that is affected by gender dysphoria. And to push that over the top, the vast majority of that one one-hundredth of one percent are male. They're not female. Nearly For nearly 100 years of diagnostic history, gender dysphoria typically began in early childhood between the ages of two and four years of age and usually involved a boy who insisted that he was not a boy but that he was a girl. Children afflicted with gender dysphoria are three things. One, they are insistent. Two, they are consistent. And three, they are persistent in feeling that they are in the wrong body. By all accounts, it is excruciating. Historically, this has been the classic presentation of gender dysphoria. When these children were left alone, meaning when no one intervened medically or encouraged what is called social transition, listen now, over 70% of them naturally outgrew their gender dysphoria. 70% of them. Most of those who outgrew it became gay men. Those who did not outgrow it became what used to be known as transsexuals. They did not believe they were women, but they felt most comfortable presenting themselves as females. Today, however, we don't leave these children alone to outgrow this dysphoria. Instead, the moment children seem to not be perfectly feminine or perfectly masculine, we label them as trans kids. Teachers encourage them to reintroduce themselves to their classes with new names and new pronouns. We take them to therapists or doctors, nearly all of whom practice what is called affirmative care, meaning they think it's their job to affirm the diagnosis of gender dysphoria 
Incidentally, a diagnosis made by the child and help the children medically transition. Medically transition. I wanted to make sure you heard those two words. This medical transition typically starts with administering puberty blockers in order to shut down the release of hormones that catalyze puberty. The most common of the drugs used of these, on these children was originally intended to chemically castrate sex offenders. As of 2021, the FDA had not approved this drug for healthy puberty, uh, for halting healthy puberty. One has to wonder why a parent or a doctor would take measures to stop a child's puberty given that even a child with genuine, not just thoughts of, genuine gender dysphoria would most likely outgrow that condition if simply left alone. What would be the point in all of this? Well, what we do know is in almost every case when a child's healthy puberty is medically arrested, the child proceeds to cross hormones. And when puberty blockers and cross hormones are administered to a girl, she becomes infertile, as well as other various serious related anatomical abnormalities. As mentioned earlier, for the nearly 100-year history of scientific study of gender dysphoria, it has been diagnosed almost exclusively in young children and vast majority in boys. But over the last decade, large numbers of, hear this, teenage girls have begun to claim they have gender dysphoria. How did we go from nearly 100 years of gender dysphoria research being diagnosed among one one-hundredth of one percent of the population and overwhelmingly, almost exclusively in boys between the ages of two and four years of age to suddenly having teenage girls well outside of the established age range and certainly outside of the 100-year-old gender sample claiming gender dysphoria. Prior to 2012, there was, hear the words, no scientific literature on gender dysphoria arising in teenage girls. 2012. Dr. Lisa Littman, then a Brown University public health researcher, she isn't that anymore, used the phrase rapid onset gender dysphoria to refer to the sudden spike in transgender gender identification among teenage girls having no childhood history 
of gender dysphoria. Did everybody catch that? These are suddenly young girls, teenage girls, having no history of this dysphoria, suddenly, in mass quantities, suffering from it. Interestingly, this spike is not unique to America. We see it across the entire Western world. One statistic notes that there has been a decade-to-decade increase of over, brace yourselves, 4,400% in the number of teenage girls seeking treatment at the United Kingdom's National Gender Clinic. 4,400% leap from one decade to the next. Across the West, teen girls are now the leading demographic claiming to have gender dysphoria. The $64,000 question for the church this morning is this, how did we get to this point? How did this happen? A real affliction, a genuine dysphoria, diagnosed many, a century ago or more, in a percentage of the population so small it nearly does not make a blip on the radar, in nearly exclusively boys between the ages of two and four, to now... In the United Kingdom alone, their decade-to-decade jump is 4,400% of girls claiming gender dysphoria. How did we get there? Now, this may not be a subject that touches your life. This may not be a subject that you are interested in whatsoever. This may not be a subject that you care to hear about in church. But here's the thing, and I go back to week one of this series. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the world in which we live. Your life is being played out in this world. Guys, a city on a hill cannot be hid. No one lights a lamp and hides it under a bushel. You're the city. You're the light. You're the lamp. And you have to live Christ-like in this world. That's our task. That's what we've been tasked with. So whether this applies to you, means anything to you, you give a flip about this or not, ladies and gentlemen, you live in this world. And if you never in your entire existence come across someone who is suffering with gender dysphoria. If you never do, you probably will and you don't know it. So what did that person see when you weren't looking? 
How did we get to this point? Well, now we're going to get down to the brass tacks. The blame here rests squarely on the shoulders of social contagion. And I know that many of you, most of you, maybe I'm not trying to insult anybody here. I looked up the definition. Social contagion is defined on the screen behind me. Social contagion is a ubiquitous process, ubiquitous meaning, among other things, that it is everywhere. It is everywhere. Social contagion is a ubiquitous process by which information, such as attitudes, emotions, behaviors, are rapidly spread throughout a group from one member to others. Now read these last five words. Without rational thought and reason. Now think about that. Social contagion is a ubiquitous process, meaning that it is found everywhere, by which information such as attitudes, emotions, or behaviors are rapidly spread throughout a group like teenage girls from one member to others without rational thought and reason. There's no rationale to it. It doesn't make one bit of sense but it spreads like wildfire. Why would that happen in a control group of teenage girls? This is just one more instance of teenage girls sharing and spreading their pain. There is a, listen now, this is the how and the why. There is a long history of social contagion with this demographic, the demographic of teenage girls. Anorexia and bulimia are also spread this way. Eating disorders are not the exclusive property of anatomy and physiology. It's depending on how popular the dysfunction is. Did you hear that? And we know that teen girls today are in the midst of the worst mental health crisis on record with the highest rates of anxiety, self-harm, and clinical depression. Teen girls susceptible to this social contagion are the same high-anxiety, depressive girls, listen now, who struggle socially in adolescence and tend to hate their own bodies. Why wouldn't they, with the body shaming and body imaging that goes on, why wouldn't they, as an adolescent girl, add to that, add to the fact that they're the same high-anxiety, depressive girls who struggle socially in, in adolescence and tend to hate their bodies, add to that a school environment where you can achieve status and popularity by declaring 
a trans identity. Add to that the temptation to stick it to mom. Got any moms with daughters who are teenagers? I watched this unfold in my own household when I was a kid. Also add to that the intoxicating influence of social, social media where trans activists push the idea that identifying as trans and starting a course of testosterone will cure all of a girl's problems. Put those together and you have a very fast spreading social phenomenon. How fast? Schreier says, I've spoken to families at top girls' schools who attest that 15, 20, and in one case, 30% of the girls, now listen, in their daughter's 7th grade class identify as trans. When you see figures like that, you're witnessing social contagion in action. There is no other reasonable explanation. She goes on. These teen girls are in a great deal of pain. This is why they need your love, church. Almost all of them have at some point dealt with an eating disorder, engaged in cutting, or been diagnosed with other mental health comorbidities. You say, what? Come or what? Comorbidities. In this case, for our discussion this morning, comorbidities refers to co-occurring mental disorders that are accompanied by some form of physical conditions. In other words, the deck is stacked against these girls. And now, these same teen girls are being allowed to self-diagnose gender dysphoria by a medical establishment that has decided that it's its job to affirm and agree with trans-identified adolescents. And we thought that trans athletes were bad. Grown men who have not transitioned, invading women's sports and safe spaces, effectively destroying the fundamental biological difference between the sexes. We thought that was bad. And the fact of the matter is, it is bad. It is bad. But that's another subject. But at least those people, those trans athletes, at least those people, trans men, are adults making adult decisions despite the absurdity of those decisions in my humble opinion and not teen age girls children who haven't grown into their own emotions yet at least they're grown folk the question is why is it that gender ideology activists are doing what they're doing and what possible justification 
could there be, for instance, for telling small boys that they might be girls? And small girls that they might be boys? The answer is very simple. It's so simple. You think, well, why didn't I think of that? The answer is chaos. Right now, you have to move from what you're seeing on Fox News and what you're seeing in your schools and and you have to move into the Spirit. It's chaos. Remember, useful idiots are only people who have been deceived into believing a thing that is not true and becoming the poster children for it. Someone else came up with the idea. In this case, it's the enemy of our souls. Chaos is the point. Just as the destructive objective of critical race theory is to to divide Americans racially, that of gender ideology is to disrupt the formation of stable families, the building blocks of American life. I'm going to push that envelope just a little further. It's not just the building blocks of American life, but it's the, the Creator's prototype, produced, and then mass-produced plan. Families. Guys, I'm going to just going to be honest with you here. You should be shocked at this. That is the motivation. That is the justification. That is the plan. Throw the plan of God into chaos. That's his job. I mean, let's be honest. We're not clueless concerning the devil's devices. That's Bible. Right? We know what he's involved in. And I'm going to be honest with you. He's exceedingly good at what he does. The thing about him is, though, he's not all that original. And he's not all that diverse. What he did in the garden, he's doing now. If he could disrupt the plan of God for the first couple, what do you think he's doing now? The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. If you put nuanced things in that concept, that three-prong formula, You can apply that to gender dysphoria. I want to be popular. I want to be like them. Now I've arrived. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This looks really bad right now. But it's not nearly as bad as what's going on in the darkness. 
Because everything that you see going on in our world that is not God, listen, it is the enemy, ladies and gentlemen. Get used to that reality. It is Him. This isn't stuff that just happens. It doesn't just happen. (laughs) Trust me. Bottom line, the ideological transgender movement seeks to warp children and weaken families. In short, like so many of the ideologies present today, they're merely useful idiots at the beck and call of Satan himself, having been deceived into believing a lie that finds its origins in Satan's hatred, not of you, of God. A hatred that consequently spills over in vitriolic waves onto the love of God's heart. People. What's happening? You know all those people that you can't believe are protesting in favor of Palestinians and Hamas? All those people? You know all those people that you go, man, for God so loved the world, He died for them. You remember all those people a couple years ago? Burning cities, Portland, etc. Running around, breaking windows and running in and smashing things and stealing stuff by the arm loads. And you're just thinking, man, God so loved the world, He died for them. Hello. You know when Antifa rolls up with a pallet full of bricks exclusively to arm their people to throw through windows and stuff like that. You know Jesus died for them. Those people that we can't stand. Come on. We look at the TV. We, I can't stand those. They make me. Jesus died for them. Those men running around dressed up like women, having children's book hour, dressed up like drag queens in public libraries and in classrooms, and you just wish you could call the fire of God down on that person and let the hairspray catch on fire. Jesus died for that person. Is there a sect or a group of individuals on planet Earth that Jesus did not die for? Is there one? Call them out. I'm willing to listen. Call it out now. One. How about all those, those uh, Muslims over there? Those extremist terrorists? Jesus didn't die for them, right? Jesus died for them. This list, I could keep going. I want to try to be funny here, and I don't know that I should. All those Democratic congressmen and senators and politicians in Washington, Jesus died for them. My aunt just shook her head and said, no, he didn't. No, he didn't. <laughs> That's why I'm bringing this stuff to you. Because there's not a snowball's chance in Texas on an August day. You like how I evaded that, Linda? Did you like that? Yeah. There's not a snowball's chance that they're ever going to see Jesus if you don't play it out. If the church doesn't walk in the light 
as He is in the light. If we're not led by the Spirit because we've been filled by the Spirit, if we do not have fresh fire every single day in order to show this dark place the light of Jesus Christ, where are they going to see Him? Because if Jesus, in fact, came to the earth for the express purpose of dying on a cross so He can redeem lost mankind... Do you realize that every one of those people that you come across that you don't show light to? And I'm not talking about share the gospel with. I'm not talking about spill your guts about Jesus. I'm talking about you being Jesus in shoe leather, living a life that says, I love Christ. Whether you say a word or not, smiles, helping hands, assistance, it's all the stuff. They will never see Him and Jesus will never have them in by His side in heaven. That's not exclusively your fault. That's not, your, that's not exclusively your responsibility, I mean. But we have to play our part. Why? Because some water, some plant, some water. But God gets the increase. So we have to plant seeds. And where we don't plant, we have to water. You say, how do I know the difference? You don't have to know the difference. You have to live the life of the farmer. That's what has to be done. I'm going to hurry along now. We're almost done. Like Shelley's Frankenstein modern science or science falsely so-called has attempted to strip away the constraints of ethics and of nature and has created yet another monster. A monster that is leaving lives destroyed in its hellish wake. These people the ideological, transgender activists. Again, not your typical transgender individual. The activists are those who, according to Romans chapter 1, suppress the truth by their wickedness. And although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. They not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. Stand with me this morning. God's really good. And you know what? I know we're just human. I get it. I totally get that. Man, I'm one of the single most human humans you'll ever meet. I'm a disaster. I'm a mess up. Constantly. Just ask my family. I'm not being funny. I'm being serious. I know it's funny, but it's still being serious. I'm as human as the day is long. That's fact. But you know what? In our humanity, 
we can still display our Christianity. And that's the only reason I'm bringing these things to you guys. It's the only reason I'm talking about these useful idiots. Because they're idiots being used. They think, in this case, by transgender ideology. They think that that's the great thing. When in reality, there's someone far, far more insidious using them and will use them up and discard them in a moment without ever even batting an eye. And that's the devil. That's who he is. That's what he does. Marxists, communists, all of it. Just useful idiots. And the bottom line is, is without the light of Christ... The Bible tells us that we're seated in darkness. And not until we see a great light will these people ever come to Jesus Christ. Now, like we talked about when I, when I uh, 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 asked you all to contribute to the Israeli uh, Missions Fund, I'm not suggesting for one moment, Leela, that we're going to change the world. That's not the point. See, the world is on a crash course. It's on a collision course with the destiny of God. And there's no escape. There's no escape. There's going to come an end. There is coming a trumpet. There is coming a reckoning. And there is coming a revelation of the King of Kings. It's going to happen. Your job is not to change the face of the planet with your Christianity. Your job is to obey the Word of God and maybe, maybe change somebody's life. Somebody. Because the world is on a collision course with its own destiny. You're not changing that. Nobody is. But we have to be the light of the world. And that's why I'm bringing this to you. Is there anyone here who does not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Is there anybody here who does not entertain the King of Kings in your heart? Anybody? Because He is knocking at your door according to the Revelation chapter 3. I stand at the door and knock. That's what the Bible says. Is your heart open to Him? Anybody here at all? No one? Father, we love You. We praise You. We glorify Your name. We lift up the name of Jesus. Because it is the name that is above every name. And at that name, every knee will bow. And every tongue is going to confess. Jesus you are Lord. So, Father, we lift up your name. We exalt you in all the earth. And we ask that you minister now to this body. Help them to be salt. Help them to be light in this world now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for coming today. Bless you in the name of the Lord. Go with God. Be light and be salt.